Welcome, everyone, to the No Shot Clock Podcast. You're listening to episode number 48 of a podcast dedicated to the high school basketball in the city, suburbs of Chicago, and around the state. I'm Joe Henriksen of the City Suburban Hoops Report, and with me, as always, is Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times. And, Mike, we got a, you know, a bunch to get to, and then we'll eventually talk uh, probably next podcast about the holiday tournaments but uh, I think we're gonna go through our regular routine of the two takes and um, we've got a, some surprises that we both have identified and uh, I think we've got some questions as well yeah um, questions they really will each hit three of our surprises so far in the season and I guess early disclaimer. I'm in kind of a lousy mood. It's been a rough weekend of driving around in the horrible snow, so I may get on some rants here. Um, feeling a little disgruntled. But... And we're recording on a Sunday night, which <laughs> yes. is, yeah. throws it out of whack. But Yeah, everything's going to be a little wacky, so buckle up. Um, first question here is from, I'm going to mispronounce Tim's name. Tim Rush, Rushi, from Glenview, Illinois. I do recognize his name from Twitter, though. Um so I guess that's a good thing. Uh, he's got some stuff here. Actually, he's not going to be real happy with me. He uh, has Stevenson questions. His question is, why are you so low on Stevenson? Aiden O'Connell and the rest of the supporting cast are pretty dang good. When Willie Harrington learns to pass more, he's a phenomenal number two to Justin Smith. I think they could be a top ten, if not top five team in the Chicago suburban area. I'll start with this, since I saw Stevenson last night. Um, they were not good. It was at home against Prospect. They should have won. Willie Harrington hit a game-winning, it seemed, jumper. but And then Prospect Frankie Mack hit a buzzer-beating half-court shot to win. None of that has anything to do with the game, really. The game was an ugly slog from both teams. Stevenson, I believe, scored only two baskets in the fourth quarter. One was the Harrington, one with four seconds left. The other was a miraculous rebound and tip of his own miss from Justin Smith. So basically the half court offense was scoreless in the fourth quarter at home against prospect. That's not going to keep you in the super 25. That certainly does not make you one of the top five teams in the Chicago suburban area. Granted, it wasn't their best game, but they don't have a good win. Um, And now they have that loss at home. So they're out of the rankings completely at this point. I think they have some potential but I don't think they'll ever be close to a top 10 or top 5 team. Yeah, I don't see a top 5, top 10 team. I, I do think they're, and I, you know, the top 25 is fluid and changes, especially in the early going until you solidify yourself. And I I think we'll learn a lot about Stevenson at the at the holiday tournament. Uh, I believe they're at Hinsdale Central. And, you know, I, I, when I heard this question, I went to my preview of my, my preseason rankings and, my final analysis part of that it was difficult to pinpoint what Stevenson's ceiling was going to be with a lot of unknowns. But what I didn't realize or what I think a lot of people realize is if Justin Smith plays at the ultra imp- impressive level that you would expect a high major Big Ten top 100 recruit to play at, they're going to be a top 25 team and continue to climb a little bit higher. And, and I'm not sure how he played last night against prospect but you know when you've got that going for you uh at the high school level 
And then you've got some very competitive sidekicks, you know, Eric Zalewski and, and Aiden O'Connell along with Willie Harrington. You know, you've got uh, a legitimate top 25 team. Now, where they're at right now doesn't really matter. But, uh, I, again, I don't know how Justin Smith played last night. But if he's playing at a high level, Mike, they're, they're, they're pretty much a top 25 team. He had 15 points, was 5 for 15 from the field, 11 boards. And that's really the issue with Stevenson. Nobody else rebounded at all. I'm not sure if anybody else will be able to rebound. Willie Harrington had a really nice game, 19 points. Best I've ever seen him play. I don't I don't know if they will be a top 25 team, actually. Even if Smith plays really well, it, I didn't see a lot after those two, um, even like potential-wise. Uh, so I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I bet they're in your top 25, you know. By midseason, we're almost there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we're like holiday tournament, there. early yeah. January. I, mean, I, I, I think it's. You know, I, I just think you're going to have teams in and out of that top twenty-five. And that's the truth. All yeah. season long. Yeah, it was a rough, rough ranking session. I just finished that, and I'm feeling dirty <laughs> i don't know nothing was clean about it it was a mess uh let's move on here the next question we've had for a uh, we, we skipped it last week we missed it it's from chris open-ended question he says after coaching for 13 out of the last 15 years at a highly competitive local high school and currently just an uncle that sits and watches his middle middle school age nephew it strikes me that these kids are playing way too much basketball annually Burnout, injuries, bad-slash-wrong habits, loss of competitive drive seem to be way more apparent now than in my day, the early 90s. Talks about, basically, I mean, you got the point. Are these kids playing too much? Do we agree or disagree? Joe? I, do, I agree to a point, because simply because if you look at their summer, I mean, the high school schedule in the summer has completely changed from 15 years ago, probably when he was speaking even in the 90s. I mean, they cram so much in, in their days they're allowed to get them in the summer month of June. Uh, I mean, from shootouts to camps to – it's just nonstop, multiple games. Then they get about – well, not even really because the AAU teams just start practicing right away. And then they hit that July grind on the AAU circuit. So I, I do think that's a lot on them from June through the end of July. And I think it does take its toll – I don't know if there's any way to figure out what the cause of the things he mentioned are, burnout, injuries, so forth. Uh, I'm just assuming and guessing that it is a little bit, and those those kids are tired. And when you are tired, it does lead to some injuries. But uh, I definitely think you know if you could get away from so many games and get back to just going out, working on your game, in the gym, workouts, things like that, uh, skill level improvement, uh, it, it would help and, and negate some of those things he, he mentioned, is my personal belief. Yeah, I think the last part you're talking about, definitely. I mean, there definitely needs to be a lot more attention just based on your own personal skills and less on, oh, let's say traveling to Texas in April and missing a day of school for no apparent reason whatsoever to play some AAU games. And the other thing that's happened, Mike, in the summer, in the month of June, is the whole keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, these high school coaches are just almost forced to do what they're forced to do, what they have to do in June, because if 
this team is this active with their kids and this many hours and this many days. It's like, you know, you, you, you got to do it. I could name five, six programs that don't do jack compared to other programs. And there's a reason why those programs struggle, some of them. Um, you you got to monitor how you do it. And you need to be particular about your scheduling and, and camps versus shootouts and what you can do. But um, it, it is trying to keep up with, with everybody and, and how much they're playing. I think it's interesting, too. A lot of the players, the high school kids who have power, who know that they're going to get a high major scholarship and are choosing, they're the ones that know they don't have to play everything and that don't. And they can take, right. take their time off and not have to show up for everything. They're not scrambling to try and get that mid-major scholarship, which, which is what most of these kids are doing out there. Or you know, just trying to get that D1, D2 look. So they're going to all these events constantly. Yeah, I definitely think there's too much. To me, the whole spring AAU season seems ridiculous. Spring is crazy. Yeah, I mean that, that it really is. Um, obliterated. Well, I mean, there's a need for it, but there. Well, that's a whole other topic. Whole other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just I could go on and on about that. All right, next question from Langston McHenry. What are your thoughts on HF basketball? What or who will be their biggest test? Playoff predictions for them. I mean, I think HF is – I mean, I think we both had them in the preseason top 25. I think they could be slightly better than I even thought they were going to be. I – I, you know, they're in a tough sectional. And it, before we can get to that section, they're going to be in a fun conference race with Bolingbrook. And that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the next two, three months. And then you get into this – kind of a meat grinder of a sectional just to get your shot at what all in likelihood will be Simeon. But I mean, I, 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 when the sectional assignments came out, Mike, this week, I tweeted out that sectional there. And I can't remember the site it's at. Um, I can't remember where that, that site is, but I mean, there are eight, nine, 10 teams. One of those sectionals where like the eight, nine and the seven, 10 seeds are going to have their hands full. And it's going to be one of the more balanced, competitively balanced sectionals. But I like HF. I like their guard play. I like Jeffrey Boyd, who I've sang the praises of. Uh, he struggled in their one loss shooting the basketball. But I just think that HF has the guard play, the weapons, the athleticism to, you know, to you know, not to be a favorite because Simeon will be the favorite in that sectional. But um, you know, a, a potential top four seed. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely high on them. I've seen them twice now, including a six-overtime game, so it's almost like I've seen them three times. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the guards. I mean, when do you see two backup guards come in and beat a team like Bloom, which is what happened on Friday night with Trellin Morrow, who is a stylish, fun player to watch, and Sterling Fields, who had a great game shooting. I hear they're going to – Ty Ritchie will be back for them. So that's going to help. I think they're going to go as far as these bigs take them. You know, obviously high school basketball is about guards, and they're loaded at guard. But if Cortez King-Parks and Elijah McCreary can really hit the boards and dominate like they did against Bloom, then you add Ty Ritchie to that, that's something that could give Simeon a lot of trouble, will give Thornton a lot of trouble. A lot of the teams in that sectional that they will have to beat, except for Bolingbrook. Um, well, Bolingbrook's in the other sectional, aren't they? Yeah, yeah bonus over with. Yeah, so that that'll be a conference thing. But yeah, if you look at that sectional, there's not a lot of size, and HF has the possibility to have some really productive bigger players to go at that great backcourt. And you well, know, I'm uh, sorry, and HF Tyler Demartra 
was their best interior player last year, HF. He had a compound fracture in his leg in the football season, and he's out. So he's a Division One AA football player, I believe. Uh, yeah, that's you know, who I meant, not Ty Ritchie. I misspoke. Wrong football yeah, player. Yeah, yeah so right. he, yeah. he's going to, well, hopefully be back in January, early February, um, and, and that's a big a big plus, like you said. Yeah, Mark Condotti yeah. mentioned that after the game. He said things – I don't remember the exact time frame, but it was better than they expected. So mm-hmm. so he will be back in time. So, yeah, a future is definitely bright for HF. It's uh, It should be – they'll be a real threat in that sectional. All right. Next up. This is from Patrick Devitt. It's a long one here. I'm going to try and get to the gist of it. Uh, one of my favorite parts of CPS basketball is the promotion relegation system. First of all, do you like the idea? Does it do its job in getting the top CPS teams into the red? Second, could you ever see or would you want to see other leagues take a promotion relegation system? For example, the West Suburban Gold could have the best eight teams while the Silver could have the remaining seven. <laughs> it's interesting. Um uh, first off, yeah, I, I I think the promotion relegation is great. Makes a lot of sense in CPS since there's so many teams, and um, the hierarchy is different, I think, in the CPS than in the public league than these other leagues that we're talking about. Um, for many or different reasons, I like it too. I think it creates. You talked about a lot how you love that, and, and I do too. I mean, it just creates excitement up and down the the board of the standings, which you don't find in other places. Uh, I just don't see it working at in other conferences in in terms of I mean I think it does a lot of harm to those programs that would drop down um, as a whole because I mean yeah it doesn't seem to make sense to me in another league and I think there is a downside to it as much as I like it and I think it's the best thing the CPS can do as far as organizing but the downside is you know, the red used to be bigger, bigger for a while. There were more teams in it, and they they cut the amount of teams in it and created the white. Mm-hmm. And the white is good, and it 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 looks it get look gets looked upon as not as good as it is. I ran about this a lot because of promotion relegation. Everyone thinks, well, these teams aren't good enough to be in the red, but they're good enough to compete with most teams around, and people just will not accept that because of the promotion relegation aspect. So that's the negative. Um, next up, with the holiday season fast approaching, we're starting to see all the holiday tournament information released. I was wondering if you could rank your top five holiday tournaments based on teams in the field for the 16-17 season. Um, we'll save this for uh, next, next week. Yeah. Issue. Yeah, ne- podcast. Yeah, next issue. The next uh, <laughs> issue slash episode will be all holiday tournaments. So we're going to save that for... Uh, for next time and i think that is it for the questions yep so let's well, uh, get uh, our two takes which yeah. has been a pretty regular thing we've been doing uh my first take uh is gonna be mike the mid-suburban league making a big statement this past weekend i think it's the most noise the mid-suburban league has made in the regular season and I don't know. At least we were talking about. At least I'm talking about them. This is a league where Schaumburg was a dominant force in high school basketball from probably the late '90s for a good good part of the middle of the 2000, 2005, 2006. And 
you know, Hoffman Estates had a couple of Elite Eight appearances in the mid-90s and again in, I think, 2004 with Johnny Reibel. Uh, Conant's reached the Elite Eight. Fremd uh, finished fourth in the state in 1994. But the league has really taken some some hits and abuse, I think, in, in the basketball world. It just hasn't produced a whole bunch of high-level players. Hasn't had a ton of, su- ton of success in March or even playing some of the bigger boys outside of its area. But this past weekend... Friend went on the road, and Friend is unbeaten right now. And they knocked off a, a good Notre Dame team, maybe not a great one, but uh, a good one on the road to stay unbeaten. Prospect beat Stevenson on a dramatic shot at the buzzer. Conant went and took care of Bennett. So, you know, again, it, it, what I what I see with this is is Conant is a team that I think was really struggling offensively, but they they've got a pretty long shelf life going forward. I think. I've seen enough of them late last year, enough of them this summer, where I think they're going to really be heard from, despite those early losses to Evanston and Fremd. I, I just think they have some nice pieces and, and some things at the high school level with a with a great guard and some size. Uh, that and then also Frem, just the feel of being one of those great stories of the year, the senior dominated, cohesive overachieving a group that's unbeaten on the year so far. So I think Mid-Suburban League is my take as they're really taking a step forward in, in, in this 2016-2017 season. Yeah, 100% agree. That was one of my surprises. I was going to hit all those same points. Uh, the only thing I disagree with is I think Fremd has Conan's number. I think Conan's in trouble. They've been beaten just – I think they beat him twice last year. I guess they handled him over the summer. T- after talking to those Fremd kids and watching that game – Boy, they're convinced. But not only are they better than Conant, but the Conant just can't touch them. And well, the other thing I think, I mean, I've pumped up Conant. Other people pumped up Conant, and I'm sure Frem felt a little ignored. And to their credit, they played yeah. the chip on their shoulder and gone out and been one of the real nice stories. The first, you know, the first uh, four or five weeks of the season. Yeah, what a win at Notre Dame. I mean, to go in there and get that win. Um, they, they went up to number 15 in the rankings. I, I'm definitely a believer. Uh, my first take is about the rankings. I know I'm going to get a lot of heat this week. Um, Bennett got dropped. That always brings out the uh, fans. Um, some other teams got dumped. Uh, basically, this is my, my take. It is now late, almost it's mid to late December. Most teams have played a third of their schedule. We're talking eight or nine games. That's a third of your schedule. If you haven't beaten a team that's in the top 30, top 40, and you have a loss to a team that isn't, it's going to be hard to be in the rankings right now. If you're undefeated, I'm gonna you still get a little leeway. You're going to see Geneva in there. They're a newcomer. Marist hasn't been tested, and they I don't think they rose. I kept them at about 18. And um, who's the other one I'm forgetting here? Uh, Geneva. Geneva, Jacobs, and Marist, I think, are the three undefeateds. They haven't been tested. None of the three has a good win. So I understand that's a bit shaky, but that's why they're in there, because they are unbeaten. And I, I put Marion Catholic back in. You know, they're 6-4, and four, but they have those quality wins that, that are going to keep you in there. Farragut is 2-2, two and two, but, you know, they've got the HF win. I just wanted to stress, it's more important to beat good teams. That's what matters. That's what gets you in the rankings. That's what keeps you there. I mean, I... I think rankings are hard and difficult to do, you know, but when you, when you, there's also a, the look test 
that I, I like to use. Obviously, both of us haven't seen every single team yet. But you, you do have an idea of personnel. You do have an idea from seeing them in the summer. You do have an idea of what what they've done based on their scores. And, you know, I mean, I, I understand if you don't play anyone and you beat everyone, that's all you can do. Uh, but I also like looking at those scores and some of those scores of, you know, taking care of business. And I think that plays a part of it too. And just, and how they go about taking care of teams. My second take is, this is a little bit off the, uh, the normalcy of our, our takes, but uh, Saturday night I took, took the night off from high school basketball. I went to the college doubleheader at the United Center uh, supporting a group of schools and coaches that are regular Hoops Report subscribers in uh, Illinois, Northwestern, Dayton, and BYU. But I was especially intrigued with BYU, particularly because there's a guard I love that plays for them. His name is Nick Emery. He's a sophomore star who played in the Chicago League Classic for the great Lone Peak team uh, a few years back. But as I watched Emery, and I watched him last year. I, I love this kid when he played. They, they, they tore apart a Proviso East team. Lone Peak was the talk of the Chicago League Classic that year. Uh, but last year, I just kind of followed his progress. He averaged 17 a game as a freshman with 97 threes. And, and he popped in my head again as he played against Illinois on Saturday night that where is the great white player in Illinois? I, I should say specifically, where is the great white player out of Illinois who's less than 6'8"? I mean, can you name a great white perimeter player, Mike, who has been highly coveted and wanted by high major colleges since John Shire on the perimeter? Well, it's, I mean, I, it's not my fault no one else wanted I, John Conshar. I mean, I mean, I, I realize great white guards aren't exactly growing on trees across the country, but if you do your little homework, you can find them. And, and there's been their fair share from Grayson Allen at Duke, who's at Florida and from Florida and Bronson Koenig at Wisconsin and Luke Kennard from Ohio is at Duke and Kyle Guy out of Indiana last year was a top 50 recruit who's playing in Virginia. You go on and on through my the years of doing this, and you cannot find – I mean, there's a lot of big guys from Jack Cooley to, you know, uh, the list goes on. I mean, all the way now to Nick Rakosevich, who is who star faded, we know. But there, there has just been no guards, no perimeter guys in Illinois that fit my description. And I, I just find it peculiar and odd and, and wonder where they are. Yeah, I haven't really thought about it in that. I guess Michael Orris – for a while, was getting some hype. Didn't happen. Well, I mean, Ben Brust yeah. was okay, and and um, AJ Ramsa was okay. It's just, it is really. I went through all my rankings from 2006 on, and it was unbelievable how you could not find a perimeter guy uh, that was really coveted, highly recruited, ranked in top one in, in, in Illinois, and I just. As I watch Nick Emery, I'm like, where is that guy in Illinois? Where is that kid? And uh, it hasn't happened. I mean, we've had a lot of big guys from Ethan Happ, like, you know, up in Wisconsin to, mm-hmm. I said, Jack Cooley and, and, and so on. But uh, it's just something peculiar that I, that I continue, not just this past weekend, but over the last several years. I've, I've, I've said this on a number of occasions and wondered. All right. My second take. First off, uh, I have seen 23. Two of the 25 ranked teams 
So I've done the look test at this point <laughs> on most of them. I'm over that. And I've probably seen 35 of the top 45, if I said right now. I've been busting my hump all over the place. Uh, but anyway, on to take two, and this is part of that busting well, my hold hump. Hold on, but if I if – if, if, so you're saying if you saw Geneva play Stevenson tomorrow, you're, you think Geneva wins, or they yeah. just deserve it because they haven't lost? Right now, yeah, I think Geneva wins. Right. Stevenson was bad. I mean, I think Pat Ambrose, if we called him up right now and put him on a... I mean, he wouldn't... I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that. They scored twice in the fourth quarter at home. I mean, you have Justin Smith. It's prospect. Oh, I, there, you know there, I mean? There's it's all like, kinds of games one night. I mean, laying an egg. I mean, Bennett beating, losing the St. Vider laying an egg. But, I mean, it, I mean, it happens. And that's... My thing is, there's no great teams um, outside of maybe a few. So these upsets to me aren't as big of upsets. I mean, Stevenson is clearly not. I mean, they're a flawed team. They're not going to be a world beater. Um, nor is Bennett. I mean, the Bennett. I mean, that loss to Vider was, you know, Conant loss was okay. But I get that. But. Yeah, but I mean, I'm looking at the bottom five. Yeah, Geneva's undefeated. They're not proven. But the bottom five are what Farragut, Marion, Catholic, Hillcrest, St. Rita, Conant. Yeah, I'd take them all over Stevenson. Name them again. Uh, Farragut, Marion Catholic, Hillcrest, St. Rita, and Conan. Yeah, I wouldn't, but I, mean, I but, but I'm not saying they don't. What I'm saying is that it's not that they deserve to be in the rankings. I, I'm just you like their upside. I I can yeah. I mean I think yeah. At, at the at the end of the day, I think. Stevenson beats, and I'm not trying to pick on Geneva because um, <laughs> I've gotten sure. accused of, of calling or, or, or selling them short in the past. But uh, you know, it, but again, it's it's hard. I mean, it's yeah. This goes right into my play, my my second take, which is what I expected at this point right now to be sitting here doing this podcast, and we could at least have a discussion about Player of the Year. But right now, we can't. And it's because no one has stepped up in any way that we expected. None of the contenders have lived up to it yet. And I'm not sure if they're gonna, or if we're going to have to look at other places. There's some kids who have played really well, I think, and put themselves in. Lucas Williamson has come into example. I, in the paper tomorrow, I say that he's, there has not been a better or more productive player in the whole area than Lucas Williamson. And I'll stand by that. He's got the numbers. He's got the big wins. He, he's done it all. And the players that we hoped, I mean, if I could go back right now, I would almost maybe pick a completely different five in my preseason all state. I mean, I think it's been that interesting and odd um, of a start to the season. And I don't know, if you had to pick a player of the year right now in our area, who would it be? Well, that's one of my surprises that uh, – <laughs> it's funny. You, you mentioned the your take is one of my surprises, and one of my takes is one of your yeah. surprises. So I'm going to I'm gonna get into that in uh, a little bit. But you know you're right. I mean it's um, – which I guess we can lead right into yeah. uh, our, our surprises. And, and, and one of the – it was twofold for me is one, I started with – the class of 2018 in Illinois, this much is known about it. It lacks high major prospects, and the number of overall Division One prospects is also extremely thin. But what has surprised me is is the this first third of the season is just a lack of overall impact we've seen 
from not only I was getting a twofold junior class, but also the stars in the senior class. So every year there are juniors who come out of nowhere, raise their profile considerably, and we add them to the list of, all right, these are the guys who we're going to watch for the next two years. And, and there's been a few that have done that. Um, but that list is very short so far. And that, that doesn't bode well for that class because I always see the biggest jump, not by every player, but the total number. I see a bigger jump from that sophomore year to their junior year uh, than any other period in their, in their high school career. And doesn't sit in, I mean, it can still happen for other kids, but, and that leads me into then what about the senior class that has not been overwhelming, overwhelmingly, and I, and I guess the only junior would be Io DeSumo was the only, you know, the outreach of a dip into that junior class as a potential player of the year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the senior class, aside from a couple of players who I think you mentioned one, Lucas Williamson, and I think, you know, I, I can throw a couple other names, Tavion Kirk, Elijah Joyner, uh, Nana Atkinson, but none of them have been what you would put in that upper echelon of player of the year, typical player of the year candidates. And, you know, a guy like Demaris Jacobs has put up huge numbers, uh, scored 32 last night uh, down at St. Louis. I mean, it is interesting what you brought up because there's a lot of guys putting together guy seasons, but okay, there's no surefire front runner for player of the year, just as you said. No, not at all. On the other, na- it's kind of funny we keep taking each other's things. I those are the exact names I was going to bring up. Um, the best players I've seen this year have been Lucas Williamson, Elijah Joyner, Tavian Kirk, Nana Atkinson, and Jacob Keller. Those are the ones who not only even throw the numbers out. They're the ones who, when you talk about the look test, that are on the court, taking over games, leading their teams to wins, and they just have it. You know, there's nobody sitting there saying, oh, well, he's going to be a better college player. Why I watched this high school game. The kid is well, out yeah, there. And that's, and that's, I think a lot of people, maybe they get it confused by, by me because I'm a, I do the recruiting part of it, but when I, when, I, when we're talking like this, it, it is strict, and people that are listening, it is strictly based on their high school dominance. I mean, and their high school, the impact they have on their team, in their games, on the season. I mean, I'm not going to – I mean, Jeremiah Tillman is the best prospect. I get it. But he is not the best high school basketball player in Illinois. Just pure high school, impactful high school basketball player. You know, we don't see Jordan Goodwin enough. Um, and, and a kid down south in Edwardsville, Mark Smith, is tearing it up. But up here in the Chicago area, there hasn't been that, you know, that, that figurehead of, okay, this kid is just putting it together. And, and it's still early. I mean, and a lot of this stuff, you know, Mike, over the years, when a lot of this player of the year platform is, is developed is when? Christmas tournament time. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of it over the years. Uh, whether it be at Proviso West or Pontiac Holiday Tournament, who have kind of upped their uh, their uh, resume uh, in, in the Player of the Year talk with how they play and, and, and what their teams do, particularly even at those two holiday tournaments. Yeah, and that's going to be 
I guess I'm kind of confusing where we are now since we keep stealing each other's surprises. Right. Um, we can go in. I'll go into one of mine then. The last one I've got left. It, it is the holiday tournaments. And I guess I'm surprised by this because I should have seen it coming and I didn't. And it just kind of hit me. I'm worried about the holiday tournaments in the area. Um, I'll be on in uh, Pontiac as usual, but I'll, I'm going to check out probably something on the 26th at night. I'm going to be just driving back. And the 27th, I'll be at Proviso all day. And then the 28th, 29th, 30th Pontiac. But, boy, looking around, I mean, Proviso's a decent field, but there's no juice there. You know, there, there's nothing happening, really. Hins- but it's been the divorce. It's the divorce exactly. of... Exactly, yeah. Hinsdale the- Central is... Yes. No one wants to go there. It's an okay, uh, weird field. And then the yeah, Dipper's it's, an okay, it's Exactly. It's an okay field. They kind of are adding like a team a year or two. <laughs> and the Dipper's done. York has 32 teams. I mean, you have York, Hinsdale Central, and Proviso West all within, I don't know, geography-wise, probably what eight miles from each other or less and you've got 64 teams there and it's just kind of I don't like it but (sighs) Pontiac stayed strong but the the, even wheeling has been hit there's been some teams that have gone out of state have left it it is it is a a, um, you should be worried because it's not at the level what we're accustomed and used to. No, it's a problem. Hinsdale Central, I'll be honest, to be taken seriously, they need a public league powerhouse. Which is going to be hard to get because they feel loyal. To, a lot of them feel loyal to Calvin Davis and Proviso West. And uh, even if they're not at Proviso West, a few of them feel, you know, like, like I said, it was it was like a divorce in basketball. Uh, that whole yeah. parting of ways, and and it and it's hurt the holiday tournament schedule and and, and field of tournaments. It just, I mean, if I was a fan that wasn't going down to Pontiac, I don't know. I mean, the lack well, of stars I, I was, in the senior class too. It well, just, and earlier today, I was I was looking at my schedule, what I'm going to do, and I'm going to unfortunately be forced to kind of bounce, which I hate doing, on the same day because you miss drive time but you're going to be forced to bounce back and forth for me to get to see some players and, and teams i want to see between hensdale central and Proviso west rather than i don't know just kind of locking into that 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 one tournament and i don't know it, it is kind of disappointing and uh and and i also hate seeing uh repeated matchups i i look at the field i can't remember, remember we'll get into this at yeah, our, our, our next issue or next uh, episode. I mean, yeah, I think we're missing Elgin. You know, we used to have like a geographic diversity of where the things were. What was who was it? Was just things were really well set up <laughs> ten years ago. Well, and yeah, and, and Bloomington Normal became a little bit of a factor, and they they they've plucked some team like a North Lawndale's been going down there, and, yeah. and and it's a nice tournament. I like it down there, but uh, it's. Uh, it's a little, it's a little bit, I don't want to call it AAU or some microcosm of everything spread out and players spread out and bad teams, but uh, it's kind of what's happened to the holiday tournaments. Uh, one of my, my other surprise, Mike, are the unbeatens. Not that there are a, a, not that there are a number, uh, tons of unbeatens left headed into the holiday tournaments, but it's more who they are. 
you know, we're, we're sitting here with, you mentioned it, you know, Friends unbeaten, Geneva's unbeaten, and probably the most unlikely unbeaten is Wheaton Warrenville South, who, you know, if you look at the DuPage Valley Conference, Naperville North and Wheaton North were projected to be one and two. Wheaton South's already gone on the road and beaten both those teams. There, anybody outside of Wheaton or the DuPage Valley probably couldn't name a player on Wheaton South. And or even mentioned her in passing in, in the high school basketball world, names like Dylan Durrett and Jake and, and Drew Healy. And it, it's just a, a team that I think has been probably the biggest surprise. I don't know, you know, where it'll go from here with this team, but, uh, you know, for their area in their conference, they're really off to a phenomenal start and has been one of the real surprises for me even after having watched them a little bit in the summertime. I uh, would have never have guessed. You had told me in June, hey, Wheaton South would be, have beaten these two teams and uh, be unbeaten going into holiday tournaments. I would not have ever guessed that. So uh, that's one of my surprises. Yeah, I went and saw Wheaton South this week against Naperville North. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> – I mean, just watching them take the it's, court. It's, yeah, and, and, right. And But it's their style. It's It's – you know, I'm not saying they're going to get to Peoria, win a sectional. I'm just saying it is high school basketball. And, you know, they aren't beating Simeon. They're not beating, you know, those types of teams. But it is fun to see for some people that like different styles of basketball to be able to function at a high level for their area, again, their league, with a completely different type of style and and uh, system that they play, and that's what Wheaton South is about. They they played their butts off. I mean, for them to out rebound, very tall Naperville North team. It was pretty amazing. I mean, that, they deserved that win. That was not didn't look like an upset. It looked like the better team won. The team that was in control of the game won. Naperville North we saw lost to Lake Park two this weekend, so they're really falling off hard. Um, I, I didn't put Wheaton Warrenville South is the, you know, big school conference undefeated team that I did not put in the rankings this week. I saw them, you know, I don't think they have the upside of the Fremd, but what you said is totally right. They are clearly the class of the DuPage Valley. Um, and they're fun to watch. You know, they, they get after it. You know, it, it is a, it's a slower offense, but they'll get a shot when they take it. You know, they're not trying to kill clock necessarily. And, and they have, have a smaller margin yeah. of, I mean, for error. I mean, I, and it could, the second cycle, second round of the DVC, it could completely, you know, I don't think Naperville North going to, I don't think they're just going to go tank now after these two losses. But uh, there is, there, there's, you know, that league is not as strong as it's been when you've lost to West Aurora over the years. And, you know, Glenbardi's had that long, nice run. I mean, it's, it's a league in transition, and a bunch of schools are leaving after yeah. next year. So it's just kind of a, a wacky situation, that league. I think we used up all of my uh, my other surprise was the uh, Mid-Suburban League. <laughs> which, yeah, which I, yeah, I um, I, I guess the last thing, Mike, is... Well, you know, let's, the, let's hit Battle of Vincennes a little bit. Um, it's a pretty, yeah. pretty big game. Uh, I guess just to... Uh, you know, it ended with Evan Gilliard trapped in the corner at half court. You know, I didn't have a great view of that, but he might even like had his back to the basket and they called a foul. You know, it's extremely likely that he was fouled 
you know, it's the Battle of Vincennes and <laughs> it's the final few seconds. But he was not in a position of attacking. He was in trouble, basically is what I'm saying. And it left kind of a, a bad taste in your mouth to have the game end that way. He hit the free throws, you know, and Gilliard t- was taking control of the game. You know, I don't mean to badmouth him in any way. Just it wasn't the way you wanted to see that game end. It kind of felt like we should have gone into the overtime at that point. Um, so, so, I mean, Nick Irvin, you know, I'm sure everybody read the quotes. Wasn't too pleased about it, um, to say the least. Simeon didn't play extremely well, but that sounds a ridiculous thing to say. When you win at Morgan Park, um, you played well. But I guess they, they weren't shooting real great. I, I left a little concerned about Morgan Park. I think I detailed that online after the game. I even considered dropping them below Evanston and Joliet West today when I did the rankings. I just haven't seen... I'm looking for that, like three minutes of play where I go, wow, you know, that's what this team is at their best. And I haven't seen that. Even when I was watching them blow out Bowen by a hundred points, I felt like I didn't see that. If you know what I mean? So it's, but I just don't think they're, and before I say this, I still think they're capable of getting to Peoria and winning a section on three. a And obviously they played Simeon to a one point game um, or, or last second loss. So saying all that, they're, I mean, Mike, again, look test again right now. Their personnel compared to what we've seen at Morgan Park over the years, come on. Yeah. I mean, Kyle Davis, Billy Garrett Jr., Josh Cunningham, Marcus Lavette, Charlie Moore. I mean, we can go going on and on. It's just not what we are accustomed to seeing at Morgan Park. Yeah, you're 100% right. It's The backcourt is a question at this point after Io. We know Cam Irvin can shoot well. Lamont Johnson's off to a rough start. Well, I guess the one positive you can definitely take from that, Melo Burrell has firmly established himself as the best of the bigs. He did it all. He rebounded well. I think he hit two threes. One of them was crucial near the end of the game. He was really active. He was the one big they could really count on. The talk about Aaron Cash, the transfer, that... As quickly as Javon Freeman has become a factor for Young, it's it's going to take a lot longer for Aaron Cash. I just have not seen. He just looks out of sorts. You know, he passes the look test. You can tell he's a very good athlete, but just has not been able to catch up with the flow of public league basketball yet. And I guess the last Morgan Park thing, I can't get the Lincoln Way West game out of my head. <laughs> it, they, you know what I mean? When I see them not looking dominant right now, and I just wonder, well, we don't. There are obviously not as good as they were last year. And even that team, right? you know, lost that Lincoln Way West games. That's bugging me a little bit. Marco Pettinato is in my head. Um, so, yeah, I guess that I have some doubts about Morgan Park, even though that game could have easily gone another way. Simeon held on and survived. So you bring up, you brought up Lucas Williamson and Young. Yes. They have a big one Wednesday with Simeon. So what do you see happening there with your front I'm, runner? I'm gonna sound I'm gonna sound like Arthur Goodwin. <laughs> Simeon's gonna get him on that big court. <laughs> and it's gonna be trouble. <laughs> I think he's right though. If this game was in a small high school gym, 
I th- I'd really like Young's chances just quite a bit. You know, they've got a little bit of sneaky size. I, I, I liked how they handled North Lawndale's quick attack. They did a very nice job. Just they were able to keep up with North Lawndale, you know, in that game at Collins, which was really impressive. What was it? 88 to 86. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Simeon, you know, we've already seen what they looked like on that UIC court. I think it's really going to help them having all that space for all their speed with their guards. I'm just interested to see with we we think Simeon. We we're waiting to see. I mean, if you had a look at Simeon and and you know how they kind of rein Simeon, they're, they're reined in usually, and they're trying to be. I think a little bit more up tempo, open court, push it with these guards. But you look at Whitney Young, Mike. The last three games, they've scored 81, 88, 71 points. Yeah. Uh, they, they scored 73 in an earlier game. So, um, you know, or a game was a little low scoring. But, I, you know, it, it's interesting to see Young putting up these points. So I, I that's what I'm getting to is, is will Young Simeon be a yes. shootout? Yeah, I is mean. Is it going to be a I think it up and down, which hasn't been the case no. <laughs> yeah. in any Young Simeon game? Yeah. That's you know, a even really, those, yeah, that's a really those, good point. Yeah, those great teams of Jabari Parker and Jaleel Okafor, you know, in the sectional or whatever, those were slugfests. Uh, so I, I just it's going to be an interesting, different type of dynamic when these two teams take the floor Wednesday night. Yeah, uh, Rob Smith even made the point after the Simeon Morgan Park game. He said, "You know, I'm okay with this playing fast." But, but that that was a little too fast. <laughs> he said there was just no <laughs> offense. We weren't passing the ball around at all, and he was right. He, even Rob felt it was, and he it was just a little too crazy, is what he meant. A little too stereotypical public league. But you know that's what ends up happening a lot of times in the Battle of Vincennes. I think we should also mention this kind of went under the radar. And geez, in the season we're having, it should not. Kiesel Brown scored thirty against Bogan this week. I mean, that's a big number for a kid that had a lot of hype on him that went through a rough year last year. We've seen good things, but I mean, scoring 30 points in a high school game as we've seen this season, Part- it, does, it doesn't happen that often. Particularly for Simeon. Oh, exa- oh yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I don't know when the last Simeon player to score 30 was. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, I probably missed something, but uh, I'm sure maybe Norvell did. I don't know, but. You know, I just uh, I think that'll be a fun one pre-holiday tournaments, and uh, and then that's what we'll get into uh, oh. in our next uh, our next episode. You want to do uh, one more preview, Bennett Fenwick? Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you think? Do you think Bennett's? I mean, we didn't discuss that at all. We probably should because we raved about Bennett quite a bit, and then I mean, I, I I wasn't as high on Bennett coming into the season. Actually, I was the only. I mean, I didn't have him ranked in the preseason. Uh, I, I again, I just think they have to maximize so much this year. Person, again, I go to personnel. Uh, I know it wasn't great personnel last year, and they won or finished second in the state. Well, this team isn't as good as last year's team, and despite that hot start, and I, I just see, I don't see a lot of depth. Uh, I, I, I see them having to rely on a young big kid for the size and rebounding and, and presence inside it. That's always hard to do a freshman. So I, I, and, and Fenwick meanwhile is one of the good teams looking better than I expected coming out of the right out of the gate because of the football length of the season and things like that. So 
I, it's at Bennett, I believe. But I, mean, I, I like Fenwick in that one. I mean, I, I think Bennett it was going to be a – this is the part of the schedule. I think I even mentioned it on the last podcast, a tough stretch where you've got to yeah. play Conant uh, on the road, then you got to play a hot Fenwick team, and then you go into uh, the grind, meat grinder of the Pontiac Holiday Tournament. Uh, so it, it's, good, it's a tough stretch for Bennett right now. Yeah, it sounds like they shot very poorly in the St. Viator game. I saw those stats, but they lost by 16. You know, losing yeah. to Viator wasn't bad. It was the 16 that shocked me. And losing by, they only lost by four, I think, to Conant. No real shame in that. You know, that, that's two really good teams. But you're right, Fenwick, it's going to be a tough matchup for them. Something about heaven, I feel like I would have been really confident in Fenwick for this game if Bennett hadn't lost the last two. I feel like especially True. for a team of shooters, you know, and to be right. at home, I think it's going to be really tight. And I, I, if I was Rick Milnati, I would not be happy that they just dropped two because, yeah, they're going to be coming in with a lot to prove for sure. So that's going to be a really fun game. If you're not going to make it to – they're both the exact same night, Wednesday, at the same time, these two games we've talked about. So hopefully you'll be at one or the other. They both should be really good. Um, and that's really all we've got going on this week at all. And uh, so I guess that'll that'll do us. Next time we're gonna hit all of the holiday tournaments. It's going to be a massive preview of the holiday action. We'll hit all the big ones for sure, and maybe get to as many of the little ones as possible. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.